0: Welcome to Conversations for Life, a marriage and family podcast from Cross Life with hosts Jonathan and Kathleen. Each episode, we sit down and talk about things that matter most to those that matter most to you. We're so glad you're with us today. Please pull up a chair and join us in the conversation. Hey everyone, welcome back
1: to another episode of Conversations for Life. Today we are joined by Dr. Harry Reeder. Many of you have probably heard his name before. He has been a leader in, in my denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, for a long time. He's the senior pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. He also he leads a, a weekly radio Bible teaching ministry called uh, In Perspective. And in addition to that, he also leads a church revitalization movement that's called Embers to a Flame. And he's written so many books, and I've personally been blessed by a few of them, including uh, one, the, the Leadership Dynamic. And he's on today to to talk with us about marriage and really just how a healthy marriage is the foundation of a healthy family and how that's connected to involvement in the local church. Dr. Reeder, thank you so much for being on today.
2: It's my privilege Enjoyed it. By the way, we also have a podcast, it's a 10-minute podcast, called Today in Perspective, and and like the radio thirty minute program you mentioned, it's available on our uh, church app, Briarwood app that you can pick up in the various ways that you get apps. I'm, that's beyond my capabilities. <laughs>
1: I, I, I hear you. I know there's so much involved. So, Doctor Reader, just to honor your time and our time together, I'd love to hear you just speak to what are some of the elements of a healthy marriage. You know, two or three. I know there's there you can add, add in an item, but just two or three of the ones that you would say. If you have these, you're starting on a right foundation.
2: Well, obviously, you need a marriage that's in the Lord, and that's an obvious one to believers. Right. But I would say, while it's a marriage in the Lord and the sense that obviously both of you are believers, I think you've got to go a step further than that. I think a woman needs to ask herself a question. Is this man going to be committed and capable of, of taking me to another level as a spiritual leader in my life. Mm. And then secondly, a man has got to decide, does this woman, A, is she desirous of my servant leadership? And then secondly, will I be able to do what the Lord wants to do in her life and through her life?
3: Mm. And
2: so I think those kind of questions I encourage our singles to ask. Yeah, you want to get Mr. Right, but really the bigger question is, are you asking the questions in life that are going to make you Mr. Right or Miss Right for that person? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things. And then we, of course, believe very much at Briarwood, I am not allowed to do any marriages that do not finish our premarital counseling and discipleship, and that includes my sessions with them as well as couples that we have trained to disciple people through the premarital counseling. But then when we work through them afterwards, we hand them off into pastors and elders, and one of the things we tell them, we want you engaged and embedded in the life of the church. That's the womb that's going to nurture you. The Great Commission is given to the church, it is implemented by the church, and it is, it results in the vitality of the church. So, While you have to come to Christ personally, you never live for Christ individually.
3: Mm -hmm. Therefore, you
2: and your marriage uh, need to be—you need to be—I show people this all the time from the the lives of Mary and Joseph. There's a little piece that people miss It says that Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. And there's two things that are brought out in Luke chapter 2. And number one is he was submissive to his parents. And so that's number one. Then the second thing is they went to the temple as was their custom. It repeats they, they were at the synagogue in Nazareth as was their custom. Right. In right. other words, the family was in the church and the church was in the family. I believe that's absolutely crucial for marriage and family. Is embedded in the life of the church. Not playing drive-by church. We go mm-hmm. there whenever it works out in our schedule for a worship service on Sunday for an hour. You embrace and are engaged in the life of the church. So those would be, and then another thing is I believe in the early years, it's a good idea for a couple to do a ministry together. You do tasks together. I think that really helps you grow in your relationship. You can look at a football team. You get this, you got a 400 pound tackle. You got a 150 pound wide receiver, They've all got their responsibilities, but the reason they're a team is they're all trying to get across that same goal line. So every time in your marriage, you establish common goals that you achieve together, such as, well, we're going to lead this fifth grade Sunday school class together. When you do those things together, it's amazing what that does for your relationships.
4: Yeah, well, and springboarding off of that, love to hear more about how church involvement does play into developing a healthy marriage. How does that happen? How have you seen that over the years in, in the people in your church and in your own marriage?
2: Well, obviously, I think uh, sitting under the preaching of the Word of God together, and then I encourage families and marriages. I say, you know, Sunday nights, if y'all want to sit around, you know, with the youth and you want to, kids want to go sit with the youth or something, that that's all fine. Well, Sunday morning, your family, I think you ought to be together. Now, we actually have a children's church, and I have no problem with that. I'd be more than happy to explain how we do it up to the third grade. But other than that, what we try to do, I mean, we make a big deal of how the child graduates into the bigger worship service. And the, mm-hmm. But our bigger deal is the family worshiping together with the family of God. And one of the things I tell dads, I say, one of the great things you can do is get a practice in life, is that when we would leave church, we would always talk through with the kids and with each other what we learned, what are the implications, what in the worship service impacted us today in addition to the preaching of the Word, what did they learn. And so we try to, what the confession calls improving, or learning from, or bringing a distillation of how this worship instead of evaluating the worship service, we evaluate what is the worship service has it done in our life, and the various right. elements of worship, from the singing to the praying to the confessing to if it's a sacrament Sunday, all of those things are crucial and the other thing we always did as a couple, and then when we had kids is Sunday night after church was a was a family event. We'd go out and get pizza Sunday night after church, and, okay, what happened last week? Where are you going next week? What's going on in your life? So the Lord's Day became a lot for our marriage and our family. Mm -hmm. We try to disciple our people to do that. Obviously, we want you in a small group. The Bible says that the Great Commission is focused upon disciple-making. That would be evangelizing and equipping someone. To walk with the Lord and learning all that the Lord has commanded, the the basic venue of discipleship I don't believe is one on one. I believe one on one discipleship is for a season or a reason.
3: Right, right. Best
2: discipleship is in a small group. So a couple and individuals getting in a small group to be discipled I think is absolutely astonishingly beneficial to a marriage. So those are some of the things, but most of all is how the spiritual disciplines that you that you practice in worship are downloaded into your life. So mm. Cindy and I every night we read scripture and pray together with our family. Before our family it was just with each other. Every morning we never leave without reading a passage of scripture and praying together. Just downloading the spiritual disciplines into our personal life into our marital life, into our family life, and discipling others to do that. So those are some of the crucial things that marriages are, are developed within the church when we give people these biblically based best practices for life.
1: You know, a big theme that I hear you saying, and I know that some of the, as I talk with parents of, you know, my age I and mean, 30s, young kids, one of the things you're talking about is integration. You know what's done on Sunday morning or through the ministries of the church. How is that filtering into your daily life? If you talk about going to get pizza with your kids and just talking about a mix of things, not just what did you learn in the sermon or what did you read in the Bible, but just you know, kind of covering all the gamuts of, of life in that, and you're you're integrating all those things together, and you're encouraging, as you just said too, you know, with with church involvement, you're talking about integrating the ministries of the church into the regular life of the family. And I think in my experience, that's really where the rubber meets the road. And I think a lot of families, in, at least here in Houston where I live, that's where they, they really wrestle with that. They, they may go to church, you know, maybe every week, maybe twice a month, but there's a, a real struggle that how do we do this? How do we live out our faith in our family? And, you know, I'd love to hear just your your thoughts on, Hey, why do you think it is such a hard thing for folks? To, maybe it's a new thing. Maybe, maybe when you, when your generation was our age, it wasn't such a big deal, or maybe it's always been something you've seen as a struggle. But why do you think couples do struggle with that so much, at least today? What encouragement would you give to someone who says, look, I want to see this happen to my family, but I'm not there yet. Like, what would you say to them?
2: Well, first of all, I think you as a married couple and as a family, you need to identify a church that is faithful to God's Word, that is absolutely committed to the Scriptures, the Great Commandment, the Great Commission, and the whole counsel of God, and is serious about serving the Lord in evangelism, equipping and emboldening, and, mm-hmm. of course, the primacy of worship. Secondly, you've got to be committed to gathered worship. I believe the most important event in any Christian's life on a regular basis is Lord's Day gathered worship believe that's a thermostat of life for the individual, the marriage, and the family. Hmm. But that comes to the negative, which is right now most evangelical Christians, they kind of have this parachurch mentality, and, and then when they start, oh, I need to go to church. And so church becomes, well, i got a Rotary Club, i got a school, I've got a service organization I'm a part of, I do that. And by the way, we got a church we go to on Sundays. Here's what you got to understand is your family is the institution of creation. Marriage and family is the institution of creation. Amen. God's church is the institute of redemption for eternity. And you need to be engaged interdependently. Now, the church ought to enhance that. For instance, we have this seamless weave of how we take the children of believers to work them through, covenant children, through the process of their life at every timeline. But at every point, we're always making the point, we cannot and will not be your children's parents.
1: Can I actually say that one more time? I want everyone I want to hear that again.
2: Yeah, we cannot and will not be the parents to your children. Mm. What we can do is equip you to be a parent and extend your parenting into the Amen. life of your child. And that's what our job is, to equip you and to extend you into the life of your child Mm. now you got to get ready the lord's going to use i mean your kid you're going to give family devotions you're going to tell them about jesus and they're going to go on the junior high youth retreat and come back and say daddy i gave my life to jesus did you know he died for my sins and he loves me and and you wouldn't believe this speaker we had and And then, you know, you're going to say, good gracious, what have I been telling you for 14 (laughs) years?
3: And and
2: God's going to use some quarterback that gave his testimony. So, But that's that's the church at work, and that's how the church Mm. is there as a blessing for you, but it can't substitute for you. Mm. And then the other thing, when you learn in church how to take the church into the life of your family, your family into the life of the church, then you start living life with the precepts of Christ and the gospel and the power of the spirit that you learned in church. Mm, And don't see life as a silo. Well, I go to church, I go to school, I go to this, Mm. I go to that. Learn how it integrates and it's interdependent. Mm. You know, one time when I was in the uh, sixth grade, my dad showed up and and the next thing I know, I get called down to the office. Well, I thought I was dead. But no, dead. My father was just checking me out. And Dad had a trip. He had uh, three minor league teams he was dealing with. And he took me on that trip with him. Well, I went with my dad to all these games. I met Pete Rose. I met uh,
3: wow. Tony
2: Perez. I met all these baseball players and and everything. And, uh, you know, and Dad introduced me. And I found out something. I loved it when my dad came into the backyard to into my life and we would itch. To this day, I can't see Field of Dreams. Mm -hmm. I can't see it without getting emotional, thinking of all the times I had with my dad. Mm -hmm. But what really made my life meaningful is my dad taking me into his life, teaching me what the church was equipping him to do when you rise up and walk by the wayside. That's where your parenting takes place in an enormous way. So I tried to learn that. Whatever trips I took, I always took one of my kids. Cindy and I would go together. We'd take a kid, one of the kids or all the kids, and so that they could say i go to the hospital, i take my kid with me. Mm. And uh, before long, you know, the people in the hospital, they'd much rather talk to my kid than me. Right. Right.
3: uh, But
2: my kid, no longer did my child see the church as a competitor, I, you know people will say to me, "Well, I you know I think we're going to stay home and have family time Sunday night." Well, I said, "Would you explain to me what is more beneficial for your family than worshiping together, and explain to me why it's more beneficial?" I know you're thinking I'm saying that because I'm a pastor, but actually, I already believed that long before God called me as a pastor. I realized the most important thing I could do for my life and the life of my kids and my marriage was what I was going to engage in the context of worship with the means of grace and the focus upon the triune God with the preeminence of Christ
3: as mm-hmm. creator,
2: redeemer, and sustainer. So I know your podcast is focused upon that. And when I heard that, that's why I decided to, yeah, this is a, this is a worthwhile time for me to spend mm-hmm. because of what you're doing with what has been entrusted to the church. And that is the great commission make disciples and you make disciples personally marriages families and ministry that's the way you make disciples
4: what you just said is such a good message for families yeah who think that there's some sort of competition between their family life and their church life or it has to be one or the other it's also a really good corrective for I think a lot of families in ministry because it is pretty easy when you're in ministry to think this is the great work that I'm doing and it is it is a great work it's, it's from God but your family work is also a great work, and there's no necessary conflict between the two. And so, I love what you said about helping your kids to be integrated into that. Both your, your work as a pastor, but, you know, for people who are not vocational pastors, just to see that your family life and your church life come together. That your church family and your immediate family, they go together. And, and, and your, your smaller family is part of the larger church family. And that's something we tell our kids as well.
2: Yeah, you know, my kids have great marriages. Guess where they guess where they met their spouses? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they met them in the context of ministry and the life of the church. And I mm-hmm. I've met brother meet them. now, that doesn't mean they can't meet them at a singles bar. I had a head edge up as a father long before it got to their engagement by knowing the very people that uh, mm-hmm. they were fight they were meeting and dealing with and drawn to and I've just it been a joy to watch that.
1: When you sharing about your dad, the demands on a pastor are endless, and I think a lot of fathers feel that way about their jobs, whether they're in in you know tech or business or oil and gas or whatever it might be. I do feel like that is kind of an epidemic these days, though. And I think a lot of fathers feel the immense pressure of job and career. Maybe I'm wrong compared to you know your generation and and when you guys were in the '30s and '40s. I don't know what pressures you were dealing with, but I know men my age feel like the demands on their time from work. Is endless and the travel and the, the pressure and the stress and and what always goes I feel like is or at least what the easiest thing to, to put aside is your family or to take them for granted sure. because in the moment you know in the moment they're not the ones who are paying the bills they're not the ones who are sending you the emails you know those chickens don't come home to roost until 10 20 years later so I'd love to hear you speak briefly if you could of just two fathers two men Relating to what you've just been speaking about, and how would you counsel, you know, men who are dealing with all those pressures and yet not succumb to the temptation to throw their family and their kids by the wayside?
2: Well, you know, one of the things that I would just simply say is that, um, you know, and so let me put myself outside the ministry in that sense. As, you know, my grandfather and my parents, I mean, the church, I, I try to imagine my dad and mom getting up one Sunday and saying, you know, kids, where do y'all want to go to church? I don't even have a category for that. I mean, my mm-hmm. dad and mom knew what church was, the importance of church. It was prioritized. Even if we were traveling, we would always be back by Sunday night if we had to be traveling, mm-hmm. or we would never leave till Sunday afternoon. I mean, my dad and mom just knew that this is vital to us. This mm-hmm. isn't an add-on. This is really vital. I mean, it's borne out, you know, in, in, when I was a kid growing up, those years I was just doing some research, members of evangelical churches, they average going to church 3.4 Sundays a month. It's 1.6 today. And so as uh, people say to me, what does the church need to do to stop the drain of our kids? I don't think it's what the church needs to do. I think it's what parents need to do. I mean, as a parent, you've treated the church as an add-on and therefore all that the church stands for as an add-on. So when your kids get older, they're just not going to play the game. Uh, what, why give 1.6 Sundays a month to something that's not important? Mm-hmm. But they're just not going to play the game. I don't think the issue is the church needs to rev up its music. I think it's, the, I think its parents need to rev up their lives in terms of what Christ means to them and what and remember something, that Jesus died on that cross for his church. That the, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The Bible tells me that uh, Jesus purchased his church with his own blood. That's the one institution I'm involved in that's headed to eternity. If that shows up in my life, it shows up in my children's life. And so I think that's part of it. The other part of it is you develop friends outside of Sunday from the church and your kids get to meet them and their kids and their families, and you've got things that you do together, and there's a whole level. Now, that, again, don't get insulated from the world. Don't get isolated. There's all kinds of things you need to do to be engaged in the world, but not of the world. But learn to make use of all of this and the means of grace of fellowship, as well as preaching and sacraments and all of those things. So, That's what I think you do as a parent. A, I knew dad and mom would take us to church. I tell people I got saved out of a drug problem. My dad and mom drug me to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night. I can tell you in my life, I had a very, uh, I rebelled against uh, everything. I had not come to the Lord. And in my college years, it became obvious, but in the midst of immorality addictions and rebellion, I could still hear the songs. I could still hear Miss Allison, my fifth grade Sunday school teacher. I could still hear the songs from the youth group. I could still remember all of that. And that was a tether that kept drawing me back from the Ecclesiastes emptiness that I was Mm -hmm. experiencing. And I knew where to find it. So that's the train up the child and the way you should go. Well, listen, if it's not important in your marriage, it's not going to be important in your family. So I, I don't think it's an either or.
4: Yeah, and that's really that's a great summary of you know why a healthy marriage is the foundation of a healthy family. What's important in your marriage that's going to show up in your family, the values that you have as the parents, as the husband and wife, they're going to permeate all of your family life. And what what you really yeah, got is you know,
2: That's what I tell people. I try to tell them this. Children are not the reason for unity in your marriage. Children are the result of your unity in your Mm -hmm. marriage, not only biologically, but also spiritually. And Mm -hmm. if you and your wife and you and your husband are one in the Lord, then that unity is what will impact your children. If your children are the reason for your unity, number one, probably your marriage isn't going to last after they leave the home. Yeah. Number two, uh, number two is your marriage is pretty empty because, because you'll start calling each other mommy and daddy. I hate to hear that. You know, a <laughs> husband and a wife talking, hey, mommy, hey, daddy. No, you're not each other's mommy and daddy. You're a husband and wife, and then mm-hmm. you're your children's mommy and daddy. That reveals to me the identity in the home is the children. So I think we have to get people that walk with the Lord personally. Develop their marriage in the Lord and for the Lord, and then they then they're ready to bring up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, whom they are in and who is in their family, and then that is enhanced because they are embedded and enfolded in a biblical church with the means of grace.
1: I want to ask you one more question. Given your experience, of course, for so many years as a pastor and through. Embers to a Flame, you know, you've know, you traveled extensively to all kinds of churches. And I know here here in Houston, where I am, there's lots of churches that really, I think, don't equip parents with the vision that we've been talking about, of, of you as, as the, the disciple of your children, as, as that extending outward from the home, but starting in the home. And I'd love to hear you just speak really briefly to what are two or three quick things you say, you know, here's just some things you should look for in a church that is going to help you lead, lead in that direction. And here's some things you need to watch out for.
2: Well, I mean, not to be too overly simplistic, but it's got to be a church that's committed to the authority, inerrancy, infallibility, and sufficiency of the Scripture. So in a worship service, you sing the Word, you pray the Word, you confess the Word, you read the Word, and you preach the Word. Absolutely. A church that is getting its direction from the Word and its people's lives are conforming the word instead of conforming the the scriptures to the way they're living their life, then that kind of church is going to be a church that's going to be beneficial to your family. And in terms of the you know a worship service, yeah, like I said, we do make available uh, for, as an option. We by no means man, it's mandatory. We do make available um, at, not for the whole worship service, but during the preaching of the word of. Uh, Families can let their children up to the third grade go to our children's worship center where they're right. going to sing and hear a lesson on their level up into the third grade. It's not mandatory; you can use it, and we never we never try to and we never do it for the entire service. We want right. them in there with their parents, learning how to worship, and then we do a big graduation thing of now that you're in quote unquote big church for the whole time. How, how can you benefit from the sermon? Mm. And we actually, the last year they're in the children's church, teach them how to benefit from the sermon that mm. they, which is the only part that they've not yet experienced. But I think, you know, you can look and see how your church sees, but let me give one warning. Do not forget everybody's not married. Don't forget you got singles. Don't make your church just the church for those who are married. Singles are out there. How can they be incorporated into the family of God? Some of them are called to be single. Some of them are single by transition. Some of them are single by physical reasons, etc., etc. And so one of the great things for marriages and families is how do you reach into that single population, the widow, the widower, the the single, the single in transition, the single by providence, The single by calling. How do you? How do we incorporate them? You know, like for instance, on our holidays at Briarwood, we all our singles know. All I got to do is send my name in, and there's a family that I can have a holiday meal with. And then we make sure that all the singles have um, couples engaged with them, and they're engaged with the couples. And so, uh, you—that's part of a family learning how to deal with the realities of life as well. So that Mm -hmm. it's those kinds of things that you begin to look for in the life of a church. But it all begins with the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of God's inerrant word.
3: Amen.
1: Amen. So Harry Reader, Pastor Reader, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you wanting to come on and just talk about these issues and I know you could speak to so many more. So thank you for, for being with us.
2: My privilege, and thank the Lord for your ministry, and I look forward to seeing how the Lord blesses. You.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's conversation. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel using your preferred podcast app, and to join us again next week. Conversations for Life is a listener-supported ministry of Cross Life. Cross Life exists to equip and empower married couples and parents to cultivate life in the home. For more information and additional resources mentioned in today's episode, please visit our website, crosslifetoday.org. You can also find us on Facebook at Cross Life Resources, Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, take care and God bless.